Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Friends, <clears throat> Romans and socios, lend me your ears. Lend me your time too, but I guess in the history of this podcast, it's never been easier to lend me your time. Let me begin by saying hello. Sorry if the confusion of the last few days means we're a little bit late with this socio Q&A. But let me then say very quickly, I hope you're well. I hope that none of you are ill. I hope that none of your nearest and dearest are unwell. But I also hope you're keeping good spirits, that you're doing um, the right things help me flatten the curve that you're having a laugh when you possibly can believe me I am whenever possible that you're doing your exercise filming videos just arsing around because we take part of this really seriously to try and look after ourselves our neighbors to to try and help those who know what they're doing and there seems to be precious few of them but we must help those who know what they're doing to try and eliminate this virus and, and therefore our behaviour in terms of social distancing, washing our hands, making sure that we don't go out unnecessarily, all of those things we take seriously. The rest of it, let's just go mad, arse around, have a laugh, watch things we probably don't have time to, probably we shouldn't. Let's spend time doing things that are indulgences now that we've had this extra time gifted on us, whether you're working from home or whether you can't work because your work has been taken away from you, find some time to do daft things, to have fun, to relax and to engage with what used to be called normal. Look, it's the the Q&A and usually we record this Q&A with um, social distancing between, that's a rubbish, rubbish joke. I'm not even trying to make you laugh, but I'm laughing at saying it myself because Neil and Martin are both based in Scotland, and as you all know, I'm based in Spain. So we we record this between ourselves in a, in a really convoluted way, where I hold a fantastic quality microphone while they're talking to me on Skype, and I record my own audio, but I don't record them on Skype. And I send the audio to them in Scotland. They patch it together in a kind of audio Frankenstein way. But on rates. And you get the final product. To to my great dismay, I can't offer you either Neil or Martin in this episode because they are variously concerned with other matters. And therefore I volunteered eagerly, I might say, to be both guest and guestee of this question and answer session for you, beloved socios. It is um, the big interview Q&A. Um, the questions, as ever, come from our socios at patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter. As I continue to say, and really will never stop unless there's a, a restraining order, it's the most enjoyable forward slash you'll ever get. You can sign on there to access 
extra big interviews and other exclusive content, including the audio versions of all my columns for ESPN as soon as they're published. So look, um, let's start with that. Let's start, first of all, with somebody who says really nice things. And the embarrassing part of this is that because I'm both guest and guestee, I have to read these out myself. So from first of all, welcome, Will McLeod. I'm not sure that we've had a question at least on air from, from you before, but Will McLeod, Will McLeod, hi, thank you. He says, hello there. First, I hope you are all very well. I am, thanks, and staying safe and sound. Second, I want to say thank you for a beautiful and unique podcast. Bloody hell, Will, you're a smasher. Thank you. Now, my question is about reading. Apart from your own lovely books, which Will says I should plug on the pod again since people have time to sit and read, Barca, the making of the greatest team in the world, and Spain, the second book I wrote about the three trophies that they won consecutively and is probably my proudest work so far. If you want to if you want to have a look at them, Page Press will tell you how to do it. I think they're online. There's audiobooks for them too. Go get them. You'll find them if you want them. So thanks, Will. He really did write that, people. Honestly, that isn't me. That really is Will. And Will, if we might need audio from you just to prove that you did write that. And anyway, can you recommend a few things for us? In particular, Will said, I'd be interested to know the football books and football writers and papers and magazines that you really enjoy, but I'm not one to pigeonhole. If there are other writers that you'd like to mention, I'd be glad to hear about them too. Well, Will, if you are a listener to the big interview, you won't be in the least bit surprised to find out that I'm a little bit idiosyncratic. Um, some people claim, although I, I've invented this right now, that I put the idiot in idiosyncratic. I'm, you know, I'm not your normal uh, person. And um, it, it, it's constantly an amazement to me that so many of you tolerate me and so many of the guests on the big interview tolerate me too. And therefore, I'd like to churn out normal recommendations, a normal football uh, commentator, reporter, writer's responses to that, but I'm not going to. Before I answer you properly, Will, the, the, the truth I'll tell you is that I spend so much time up to my nose, from toes to nose in football. I find it hard now to encounter writers who have selected a topic and who write with a, a tone or a turn of phrase or an attitude that engages me. There are many superb operators out there who I'm not going to name at the moment um, because you've asked me what I read and what I engage in. And I don't take that to mean the stuff that I read every day for the purposes of my work and for gauging what everybody else is up to and, and making sure that I'm au fait with things that I need to know in my position. So I'm going to answer you, Will, by, by saying that whenever Jonathan Liu uh, writes um, now, previously in The Independent and um, currently in The Guardian, I still find him on almost any sport to be the most absorbing, the most quixotic, the, the guy with the most interesting verbal gymnastics that I've read in many, many, many years. Um, he's striking. Um, he carries an air of danger around him. I don't think there's another voice like him um, writing in English that I've encountered. And clearly there are moments when he'll put forward a point of view that it doesn't necessarily mean as a reader that you need to fully agree with him. Although I must admit the vast majority of his themes and ideas and arguments are in tune with mine. But when they're not, 
they're still cogently, articulately put together with references that sometimes you have to go and check in Greek mythology. And Johnny Leo is, um, to me, the the certainly the foremost new writer in the UK. And well, you may well speak Spanish, but I'm going to choose not to go into detail about people I read in, in Spanish on a daily basis here that I enjoy. It, it might be that you read them too. It might be that you're far better at Spanish than me, but I'm just assuming that the majority of people listening to my answer to your question are going to want to read in English. Michael Walker, an Irishman who I think the world of and who I think has deliberately stepped off the beaten path in many, many ways by choosing to live in the Northeast for a long time because he, he dominated that patch. He, I don't think Michael ever particularly wanted to reroute himself to London, but his talent meant that he should have could have easily been a London-based writer for all his life. His themes are eternal. He has a wit. Um, he has an accuracy. He has an engagement with the human condition. He has a, a, a distance from the run-of-the-mill tide of articles, both in his perception of what's interesting and in his means of telling stories is, is a phrase that I would apply to Michael Walker. Sam Lee, um, also athletic, um, is, is talented, much younger, very different, tends to cover a lot of Manchester City, but very able, very interesting very committed to research and depth and that's something that I think over the years in my opinion has been eroded a little bit. Johnny Northcroft in almost everything he does is unmissable. Henry Winter I'm a big fan of. I think that Henry's reliability, particularly his depth in uh, match reporting and interviews I really enjoy. Um, we shared an experience recently. We, we've known each other for goodness knows I don't know 25 years now. But we shared an experience recently where he was up in Fruken um, interviewing Sven Joran Eriksson later in the day on the on the big interview that we uh, recorded with Sven. I hope you've heard it. It seemed to me that he was one of the special guests. Henny was there. It was good to see him again. And I like his wit and his attitude to life. And, and I never find it. Um, disappointing to read his work. Tim Rich is a lesser known writer, but extremely talented. And uh, when I think his last um, big position was at the Telegraph. And when he moved from there, I don't think it was completely of his volition. And I remember thinking at the time it was an extraordinary waste of a very trenchant, witty, distinct voice in writing. Now, he, I haven't read this yet, but he's brought out The Quality of Madness, A Life of Marcelo Bielsa. Now, that I want to read. So, well, there are some within the, the canon of um, football. I will always read uh, with enjoyment Pete Jensen, Sid Lowe, their friends, their people who I read every day of their writing every day. But I'm guessing you, you knew that, and therefore I'm trying to go off the beaten track a little bit. Gary Young, um, who was for so long one of the British columnist voices in The Guardian from the States, is very talented, socially interesting, and is now, uh, is now I think, a professor of, is it sociology at Manchester University? But for many years writing in The Guardian, he brought to you the, the, the root and the heart of America's troubles and, and idiosyncrasies in a very, very updated way to be compared to a Guardian writer of the past, but a broadcaster of um, immense talent, Alistair Cook. David Sedaris, um, I find 
constantly dry, witty, ironic, really interesting. In podcasts, I listen a lot to Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend. And if you want to while away nearly an hour during this strange time that we're going through, Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend speaking to David Sedaris is fantastic. Mark Maron and his What the Fuck podcasts is um, a force of nature. Sometimes I feel that you're listening to a guy who's bluffing and interrupts too much. Please, Lord, I hope none of you ever think that of me, but I hear what I'm saying, okay? Just let me register. I hear what I'm saying. <laughs> Mark Maron speaking to Edward Norton was an episode that particularly transfixed me. I, I Well, I go away from football a lot to refresh my mind. I don't feel that I need to be reading football books all the time. I do read them. I really enjoyed Harry Redknapp's latest book. I found it funny. And I think it was written with Martin Samuel. I'm a big fan of Harry Redknapp, the football man, and as a person too. But just as a couple of little side bets, um, one of my favourite books ever, in a little trio of things that surprised me, one was a brilliant biography of General Eisenhower, and that, that transfixed me, absolutely stunned me. Another is... Harpo Speaks, and it's largely written by Harpo Marx with help from Roland Barber, probably written in the early 60s. You can get it on um, Kindle or Apple iBooks, whatever they're called, Harpo Speaks, and it's Harpo's, it's really an autobiography, and I found it extremely, extremely good. Um, and there's Rod, the autobiography. Um I bought it hoping that it wouldn't be sanitised, hoping that it would capture some of Rod the Mod's greatness. I think he is a funny character. I think he's been iconic throughout every decade of my life. Um, he's passionately Scottish, never mind that accent. And he loves his football, plus his voice is nuts. His voice is absolutely amazing, and the book is off the scale brilliant. It's funny and it's, it's sometimes it's self-coruscating. It's really, really open. He tells a lot of stories that he shouldn't. And for me, it's absolutely uh, fantastic. So listen, Will, um, that's a typically wide-ranging and um, <clears throat> wordy answer. But you did ask. Now there's a testing one from a good friend of this podcast. In fact, people, if you listen to um, Paul Robinson, part one and two, and if you didn't, please tell me why not. Um, Paul, ex-Leeds, ex-Spurs, ex-Blackburn, ex-England, um, was a big, forthright, interesting, honest character, a really good communicator, and somebody who, when we turned the tape off after about two hours, said, well, is that it? Is that all? Can we speak for more time? So there'll be Paul Robinson, part three and four. The reason I mentioned Paul is not to plug the podcast, um, given that you're socios, but to point out that Tom Lee is the guy who put me in touch with Paul, recommended that we that we get together and effectively did what is called an enchufe. He plugged me in, an enchufe in Spanish, sorry. He plugged me in with Paul. Now, Tom writes here, in fact, Tom, I'll let Tom speak for himself. Hola, Graham. Tom Lee again with Una Pregunta Mas for the March Q&A. Um, put it this way, when you're in Spain and you have the pleasure of every day going to the newsstand and picking up 
depending on your taste, Marca, As, Mundo Deportivo, there are more, but uh, individual uh, newspapers dedicated uh, to various regions of the country. And absolutely, okay, you, you get basketball in there, you might get some tennis, etc. Uh, but predominantly, you get something in the region of, say, 30 pages of daily, seven-day-a-week um, football uh, discussion, debate, analysis, reporting uh, to a really specific level. And that's before you get into the... Um, the television coverage, which uh, with that program goal every day uh, with La Liga TV, it's almost forensic. And by comparison, in the UK, we're treated to the bland, the mundane. I mean, the rotten Sky Sports news. We get match of the day once or twice a week. I would suggest, and I'd love your take on this, please. This is the question uh, that the coverage and the level of analysis and reporting over there in Spain is a hundred million times better than what we're treated to here in the UK two nations obsessed with football one being looked after one being let down discuss please that's typically forthright and controversial what Tom says is true it's incredible to me that one of the things that most attracted me to Spain and living here was what most of you who've had your holidays in, in Iberia will already know that there are four main dominant sports papers which the lion's share are given over to, to football um, and they're national titles in Spain. So given that I was born in Scotland and I pertain to the UK, the fact that even though there's a, you know, a bustling and well-produced non-league football paper at the moment and given that from time to time uh, sports papers have been um, launched as national titles and, and given that, you know, the, the sporting life and racing post have existed throughout my life. I still think it's remarkable that the power of the back pages in the national media have meant that nobody in Britain has been able to launch and maintain for a long time a football paper which is based on the elite levels of football throughout the UK. I started by saying I find it remarkable that, that on moving here and in reporting right round this beautiful big country, diverse country, which really often, as you might already know, feels like six or seven small countries amalgamated into one huge landmass because of the differences between the ge geographical regions, that, that there are, you know, daily papers in um, Seville and in Valencia. There's a daily paper devoted to um, Espanol. Um, so if you take into account that Mundo Deportivo, Diario Sport, Diario As and Marca already exist on a national basis and you add in the, the specialist sports papers that pertain to regions in the Basque Country and in Galicia and in Valencia and Sevilla, this is a country whereby I don't think they've got less coverage of sport on TV and radio than, than we do in the UK. I think they've got at least as much, as Tom adequately points out. What he talks about being the UK, the bland, the mundane and the rotten, I, I remember what struck me, really struck me, and, and sometimes it's not just what you consume or what you think about what you watch and consume. It's about what other people say to you. So forgive me, some of you will have heard this story before, but I remember when Gianluca Vialli was 
sacked by Chelsea. I was friendly with him. I used to be able to phone him as the Chelsea manager and get lines from him. If he wouldn't do one-to-one um, interviews after a match because he was going away, I, I'd sometimes be able to phone him and get a one-on-one. And this was partially through my friendship with Athol Still, an Aberdonian football agent, opera singer, um, high-level swimmer for Scotland. I think he might have even swum at the Olympics. Anyway, Athol was the man that brought Viali to Chelsea. And when Viali was sacked, I was allowed to go round to his house in Eaton Square to interview and get the first interview with him once he'd been bumped from Chelsea. And after a long um, chat and, and a big article that I produced, I said, what are you going to do now? He said, I'm going to go back to Italy and I'm going to attempt to to re-educate the Italian football media towards what's happening in, in England. And he said that the overridingly negative media in Italy, which was all about mistakes in football, criticising the referee, criticising things that a defence or a goalkeeper could have done better, or attacking a coach for losing one goal in a 5-1 win. Viali wanted to reproduce what he saw Andy Gray doing on Sky. He felt that it was startling to watch the explanation of tactics. And, And although... It might well be that in modern times, the level of what was being done back in those days might have been superseded by Monday Night Football. I now regularly watch things, particularly on Sky and on BT, whereby I hear high-level football discussions, high-level football analysis. I think that the vernacular nowadays, Tom, I'm much older than you and, and much older than most socios. The the, the, the difference in, in what we see and hear now compared to what I grew up with um and and to, you know effectively prior to Andy Gray is is gigantic. And if I'm honest, now you talk about things being mundane and, and wishing that there was more forensic coverage. Where I where I will agree with you is that I still think that broadly across the entire board in the Spanish sports media, it's more often about the football. I think that particularly in the newspapers, where I think football coverage, with some very notable exceptions, has lost its way. I think for a long time, football coverage was about slapstick theatre. He's an idiot. No, you're an idiot. This was disgraceful. That's a scandal. This player is 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 behaving atrociously. We condemn all that kind of shit. There was there was very little I thought when I was in Fleet Street about football that was spoken about in terms of football ideas, the tactics, the way in which a particular team wanted to play, an evolution of a manager's tactical ideas. We we wrote it as as theatre, as as knockabout, as drama, and elements of that are vital. You know, I wouldn't be eschewing that completely, but I think a blend between the two concepts is is perfection. And I would also say that there was a direct correlation between the brand of football in Britain in in the seventies and eighties, and the brand of football in Spain in the seventies and eighties and nineties and each of the respective medias. I think that football was less sophisticated, albeit successful in Britain in those days. 
and it was written about in a less sophisticated way. And I think football in Spain has long been more sophisticated and written about so that like, it, it didn't used to be the case that you saw any coverage of what the starting 11 would be for a particular team in the in the British media in the, in the days leading up to a match in the, in the 70s and 80s. There was very little prediction of what the 11 would be. Um, very little team news. A big star injured. Yeah, you'd hear about it, but like, w- will the formation be four three three or four four two? Or was there even many teams playing four two three one in the seventies and eighties? I think that the tactical nuances and ideas like that, Tom, weren't spoken about a lot now, and and, and they are now to the extent that if you want to pay attention to everything that's that's dissected and analysed in Brit- in Britain about football you'll find that everybody thinks they're a tactical genius and there's a lot of shit spoken to in Spain is there a difference where I back your idea I still think there's an awful lot more connection direct connection between the media as, as an amorphous bunch and the football industry in Spain although fewer teams allow you now to go and study training more clubs give more access more footballers will share a conversation easily, directly, without necessarily going through a press officer or an agent. More journalists, in my opinion, in my opinion, in Spain, have the number of a football player or a director or a coach or a technical director than is the case in Britain. And that, again, I'm I'm not having a direct go at the media in Britain. What I am saying is, in my opinion, the game in Spain has remained more integrated, more open to the importance of the media. And the media, although it's got more slapstick, more finger-pointing in Spain than it was when I first moved here, less scientific, less technical, the media in Spain is far more interested in analysing the game itself and ideas, tactical ideas, evolution of footballers as players, not just as people. So, Tom, you know... There's my best answer to what was a difficult question. Nicely said. I, lo- I love your spin bowling. And just to finish part one, a bit of schadenfreude for you all. <clears throat> I don't often go on and on, promise I don't, I'm sure I don't, about the beautiful conditions of life here in Spain. A lot of you say, you're a lucky bugger. And I think that's fair. I get to do something that I always dreamed about. But in the mix, I have to include the fact that you know, people always dream about blue skies and sunshine and life in Spain must always be one constant um, haze of the smell of coconut oil as you as you apply it to your skin to, to catch the rays and the morning coffees and the terrace. Okay, for the schadenfreude addicts amongst you, let me tell you that as I record this Q&A, Barcelona has stolen uh, Port Glasgow's weather or Stornoway's weather because it is grey it's freezing. The windows are rattling with the wind. It's been pissing of rain for the best part of whoa, at least three weeks now. If I didn't know empirically that I was in Catalonia, I'd tell you, I'd swear to you that I'd been somehow transported via a TARDIS into 1970s grey March Scotland on the west coast so for those of you that like to have a little laugh at me there you go end of part one back soon selling a little or a lot 
Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Lee. Lee Allen. Hello. Thanks for sending in your question. Lee has kind of stumped me here a little bit because... Let me read out what Lee sent in. He asks, will we see European football have a sabbatical next year so that the domestic leagues who might not start until November after hopefully completion of this season could then fit in their league and cup competitions before Euro 2021, effectively, which will still be called Euro 2020, I'm told, no doubt because of the merchandising that's always been printed. Look, um, Lee, uh, European football on a sabbatical. I've not heard that proposed. I try to make sure that I am au fait with what people are thinking, people in authority are thinking. I, I find it hard to understand how we can have European football, the Europa League and the Champions League brought to a conclusion within coming months because each of the countries still involved in European competition when football was suspended is at such a different um, place in understanding in terms of the spread. There's a vastly different level of spread, uh, which I can't un explain, between uh, Portugal and Spain, which are neighbouring countries. Um, there's a different level of damage in terms of in Germany, for example, the number of deaths to, to the number of infections is very different from here in Spain, etc. My point being, how do we know that it's even conceivable that the nations left in the Europa League and the Champions League will be ready at the same time to complete the remaining fixtures? I understand that people need to make provisions for how could we play a sort of mini knockout tournament how could it be that we get together in a certain area and play like basketball some sort of final four how this one how this european season gets finished lee it, it, it is 
a really harsh question and and I I don't have answers. Aspiration, planning, hypotheses, all for it, all for it. But realism tells me that I'm finding it hard to imagine finishing this season. Europe in European terms. Domestically, because each country is advancing differently, I could imagine a situation, and, and I'll just share with you right now, there is no more level of knowledge than mine, even with the highly paid executives across the country, about when it might be feasible for domestic football to be started again. But the plans are, and and meetings are taking place every two, three days, the plans are from both the television um, and La Liga and the Federation that there's some feasibility of there being three really important start dates, either by the end of May, the mid middle of June or the end of June, at which point, if those dates could be met, if, very big word, then potentially things could be finished in time. Behind closed doors or not, in the searing summer temperatures of Spain, for the first time in many, many years, albeit that the season in Spain used to sometimes finish finish in June, at any rate, However, the structure of finishing this domestic league might take place, it will bring innumerable challenges and questions. Pausing European football, boy. Lee, all I would say to you is that um, I I understand the practicality of what you're saying. I understand the logjam that you're predicting. But I do know that the trickle-down effect of the money from the Europa League, but particularly the Champions League, is so absolutely vital, particularly given the way in which exponentially the revenue from the Champions League has exploded over the last two seasons. It's absolutely gone. I've written about it often. It's gone off the scale now. And to some extent, it's why clubs like Atleti, Real Madrid, Valencia, Barcelona, although they're struggling right now because of the sudden and jolting halt to their income streams, they have a little bit more um, room for manoeuvre than they would have done three, four years ago. Anyway, in my opinion, there will be an almighty move to ensure that however this European season finishes, there is one next season. Now, clearly, Seferin at the head of UEFA has been saying that it's vital for them that each domestic nation finds a way to finish its league. And his preference is that that's a unified manner rather than just awarding um, a Duckworth-Lewis system if you know your cricket or saying, right, the league is voided and we stop now. He, he's... He is very much encouraging countries to find a way in the summer, if that's possible, to play their their football to a close. I think, Lee, that if this pandemic can be contained, if teams travelling across Europe, something that we used to think of as being... When these competitions were invented, it was was vital. It It was part of the human experience, cultural sharing comparison of bragging rights, comparison of skills, comparison of ideas. It's been, in my opinion, apart from going to Pataudry and watching Aberdeen, which I'd rate as my number one pleasure in football, moving to Spain, watching Spain winning the World Cup, and being part of the mechanism that of the Champions League, that's been the most enjoyable part of 
football in my life. Aberdeen beaten Bayern Munich, Aberdeen beaten Real Madrid, clashes of culture, being lucky enough to be at many massive, heart-thumping Champions League matches. I don't want to envisage um, a sabbatical. I haven't heard it mentioned before you did, but I understand why it's on the table. I understand why you've you've asked it. And all I would say is we all need a vast increase in our understanding of what's going on before Enrique can give a grown-up answer to that. And if we have to finish on a particular note, then I'm thrilled, happy to be including one of uh, my favourites, one of the biggest supporters of the big interview, and somebody who's had a difficult loss in her life recently. So... I'm sending not just an answer, but um, love and good wishes to Diana Yao um, in Singapore. And um, somebody who, if you haven't come across her work on Twitter or listened to her questions before, somebody who will always make you think, somebody who stands aside from the melee um, and, and just shows a wit and a perceptiveness and a brightness all the time, and also a generosity of spirit. And that's really important all the time, not just now when things are difficult. And Diana writes... Hola from Singapore, and though we are still not on lockdown yet, as I send this, though the social distancing measures are in place, the postponement of the European Championship to next year, 2021, does make me wonder who in the current Spanish national team setup may or may not benefit from the postponement. Typical, Diana, thank you, um, to, to, to make me think of things that need a, a, a leap of imagination and a a leap of a, a, a bridge from where we are now and the knowledge we have now to what will be not quite a year and a half's time, but I guess nearly. And I think that what I can begin to do is, uh, it, using imagination, first of all, there, there's a raft of players aged 32, 33, 34, 35, who, you know, one of them in particular, Sergio Ramos, who a couple of days before I recorded this answer turned 34, is expected to be not only involved, but Spain's leader, Spain's captain um, at the European Championships. And it's somebody I'll, I'll return to in a minute. But if you think about players like Joaquin, Santi Casola, Raul Albiol, amongst others, who are of an age whereby they're not only a year older by the time that the championship is actually played, but it's, it's worth remembering that in order to concertina, whenever this damned pandemic is, is, is beaten, or at least is in abeyance, there will be a stage at which all elite footballers are being asked to concertina more football into a short space of time than A, they could have anticipated, and B, they might be ready for. So... Is there a scenario, Dana, whereby some footballers who might have become automatics or at least who might have burst through and become brilliant, late-blooming stories for Euro 2020, might the year's postponement damage their possibilities? I think that's fair. I think that's fair to imagine that that can happen. But... Let me pick on Sergio Ramos, for example. I, I don't think a year is likely simply by dint of age, another 12 months on the clock, to uh, ruin his chances. But 
he is one of those that when I spoke recently to Lucien Riquet and interviewed the Spain coach about what was then supposed to be the impending European Championships, one, it was an absolutely brilliant conversation. He's not somebody who particularly enjoys doing uh, his media duties, not because he's not good at them, but because he's uh, an individualistic prickly guy who will often make it quite clear to particular parts of the media when he's not happy with them. And therefore, not all of his interactions with the written or radio or television press he finds particularly enjoyable. In this instance, I, I can't emphasise sufficiently what a joy it was to, to speak to a man, particularly a man who's been troubled by um, the very worst thing that can happen to a father, uh, the loss of a child. I think this was his first big one-on-one interview since that 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 dark tragedy touched his family, and I admit I was nervous um, because I wondered how do you speak about what now seems to be issues that are more trivial than the seriousness with which we we treat so much that goes on in the football world when a family, particularly Luis Enrique, has been through such hard times. At any rate, the enthusiasm, the, the fun with which he treated the interview led to a, a lot of golden information. So when I asked about Sergio Ramos, who'll be 34 and three, four months, uh, 35 and three, four months by the time the Euros kick off next summer, 21, Lucien Riki eulogised him, not just as a leader or a footballer, and not just patting him on the head, in in journalistic terms uh, and and throwing sweeties to somebody that he wanted to endear himself to. This was a Luis Enrique who hugely admired Sergio Ramos, the leader, and the positive influence within the group. Now, I know Sergio Ramos is a a Mustang of a guy, somebody who'll often do his own thing, irrespective of whether that's what the people above him or around him want. And that's just a fact. You can see it on the pitch. It's true in training camps too. Not disruptive, but individualistic. Not somebody who you can automatically apply the same rules to as you would to a 24-year-old. That's for absolute guaranteed. But Luis Enrique went over the top in saying, this is a guy who on the training ground is fixed in his attention, who will promulgate the message you're trying to get to the group he will be part of the means of carrying that message to the group over and over and over again technically brilliant is something Luis Enrique emphasized about Sergio Ramos not just athletic and powerful and um, unwilling to accept defeat okay prone to rushes of blood to the head is he the perfect positional defender no he's not but Day-to-day, somebody who changes the group for the better, who inspires the group, who pushes people around him. This I loved listening to. And therefore, injury aside, I would expect Sergio Ramos to be to feel as important to Luis Enrique in a year's time. Santi Casola, Raul Albiol, Joaquin. Time will tell, I don't know. To twist that round completely 180 degrees and talk about Diana who might benefit. I don't want to read out the whole interview transcript. It was a long 35-minute interview. But I did ask one thing. I said to him, 
Um, I don't want to pre-select your squad for the Euro, but if you'll indulge me, I'm going to name a few players that have caught my eye. Ansu Fati, Ferran Torres, Pau Torres, Iñaki Williams, Adama Traore, Unai Simon, um, who are respectively, for those who don't know them, Ansu Fati is the history-making young striker at Barca, Ferran Torres, an exceptional wide midfielder, winger at Valencia, Pau Torres, centre-half at uh, Villarreal, Iñaki Williams, a striker at Athletic, Adama Traore, you know at Wolves, and Unai Simon, a goalkeeper who's impressed me a lot um, at Athletic since he made the breakthrough. And Luis Enrique was hot for this question. Diana, it's not directly about, you know, who the year delay will affect negatively. This was positive. He said, yeah, all of those and more. I've got more on my list of kids. He said, I love working with young, burgeoning players, footballers who are coming through. And he made it clear that in his own mind, all of those I'd named and many more than that were players that were already in consideration as far as he was concerned now let's make no doubt about it if, if for example he'd taken Ansu Fati and Adama Traore to the Euros this summer it would have been headline making Not, I wouldn't say a major shock given that we know what each of those footballers is capable of but there is still a, a log jam of quality for Spain even though we're now not dealing with elite elite that Fernando Torres, David Villa, Xavi, Iniesta, Xavi Alonso, Puyol, Piquet, Casillas. We, there aren't direct replacements of, of the same quality for those guys. But we are talking about a logjam of exceptional footballers. Therefore, to know that all of the ones I named, plus more youngsters, were already in his mind. And he pointed out that he was already having to filter between who's in this position, who will he have to come up against in the groups, in the group stages, pardon me, what physical shape is somebody going to be in that moment? Therefore, he talked about valuing those who've got experience at tournaments, but adding the urge, the, the urgency, the impetus of youth. And if there's more than the list I gave him of, of players that he's got his eye on, which I guess one might be Carlos Soler at Valencia too, then wow, what we can look closely at in the coming months once we get football back would be this uh, group of tyros, this this group of young talents that Luis Enrique and his staff have got their minds on. And there's a third part to question it. I think it's inevitable, not because of backlash, but because of differences in taste, that not all of those footballers um, who under Robert Moreno uh, w were burgeoning, particularly in the last two uh, qualifying games, um, the, the final one of which was against Romania, and at the Wanda Metropolitano, if I remember correctly, boy, I thought that against them and against, was it Malta? I think it was Malta. But certainly those last two group games, Spain began to play a brand of football, irrespective of the quality of opposition, that was intoxicating and that was fun and looked as if it was completely joined up. And... Um, I still thought that with the change of coach, there might be some players who would benefit and some players who would suffer. Um, you'd imagine and hope that Isco could be back to full form and Asensio could be fully fit in time for somebody who really believed in them, Luis Enrique, to think of them as main candidates for next summer. But, oh, it's so far away. The prospect of summer football, a tournament where La Roja was based at Las Rosas in uh, Madrid, 
and traveling to Bilbao. Wow, I was so looking forward to that, Diana. It's not to be this summer. We're all having to suffer. We're all having to make sacrifices. But what we can be sure of is that giving Luis Enrique more time to work on his squad and to have friendly matches when football resumes can only be good for him. I guess that for the moment, um, that is the first part of our March Q&A. There'll be more questions to come. Thank you for those who sent them in, including Richard Kosmala, Liam Young, David Black, Daryl Geraghty. All of you, you're coming up in the next episode. For now, uh, thank you for listening. Um, Graham, thank you for doing Martin and Neil's job and your own job. Well, that's nothing, Graham. I am happy. Happy to be here for all of you. Listen, while, you're, uh, while you've got extra hours in your hand, listen to back episodes of the beginning of you and go and read Harpo Speaks. Thanks for being there, socios. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.